I'm Michael Statham, and you're listening to the Studio Podcast. Essays, observations, stories and therapy sessions from an emerging artist. This is episode two, Luck is What You Make It. Take a look at where you've been and how you've come so far. No matter where you find yourself, you're always where you Hello and welcome back to the Studio Podcast. Last episode I let you in on a little of my background, who I am, where I'm from and how after almost 30 years at the desk I've been given an escape route from the drudge of a day job. You can still go back and listen to that episode if you've not already done so. I'll wait right here. Okay? Good. This time around I thought that I'd let you in on my work routine where and how I do that, what I love and what I dislike about studio life, and generally how I get through a day without feeling the need to poke out my own eyes with a freshly sharpened pencil. There's also a poorly articulated attempt to point out the importance of that fickle thing called luck and why we don't always recognise it when it comes calling. blessed to have a space that is solely dedicated to my creative time and endeavours. It might sound crazy and a little over the top, but my studio really is a sanctuary of sorts. It's a wooden outbuilding located within the small confines of our garden, a 12 foot by 6 foot structure with windows across its length. It's insulated, plasterboarded throughout, and painted white with more power sockets than most of the rooms in our house. It's also networked to the web and has recently acquired an Amazon Echo because, well, we all need someone to talk to. I've not always had this space though, and for many years I thought it was something that would forever remain unobtainable. It was mid-2014, and we had just been burgled for the second time. The area that we lived in for almost 20 years had become, shall we say, less than desirable, which was a shame because when I first bought the house, the area had so much potential. Sadly, it didn't live up to that. After the first burglary a few years before, We tried to sell up and move, but absolutely nothing went right and for various reasons the sale never went ahead. So we hunkered down and got on with our lives and tried to ignore the world outside our door that was quickly becoming more of a no-go zone. Look, it wasn't as bad as I'm making it out to be, probably, but with the passing of time and the advantage of hindsight, that's how I think about it more and more. Which is a pity because we really love that house. When the second burglary happened, we'd really had enough though. So I worked on the old house to bring it up to scratch and within a couple of months we were ready to put it on the market. Fortunately this time, the gods of Mount Pickford were smiling down on us and everything fell into place perfectly. The house sold the first day of being on the market and for the asking price, which was amazing all things considered. However, we now had to find a new home, somewhat sharpish. Prior to the sale, we've been looking online for the perfect property, as you do. For perfect, read, within budget and well away from the old area. Those two things being the only real criteria that we had. Well, there was one other thing. I did secretly yearn for a space of my own, somewhere I could paint, but I knew realistically that this was probably not going to happen, not on our budget anyway. 
We'd been searching online for a couple of months before the sale, but nothing had caught our eye. So the day after accepting the offer, we took a drive with no particular destination in mind to see if we could just spot anywhere that we had missed. Well, we drove and we drove some more. We even got lost, ending up in a lovely little Edwardian cul-de-sac. There were about 30 houses in all, some terraced, some semis and a couple of detached. And it was so quiet and private. The one thing it did lack was any houses for sale. At least, there were no boards flagging up availability. So we drove on and eventually got back home feeling despondent and a little bit panicky. As luck would have it though, that night our continued trawl of the property sites uncovered a small but perfectly formed semi-detached house which seemed to be quite promising, mostly because it fit our two main criteria of being within budget and somewhere else. Apparently this house had been up for sale for months but somehow we had managed to completely overlook it. So the next day we got back into the car and took another drive, this time to find the place that we had seen online. Our route took us back to the same cul-de-sac that we had stumbled onto the day before. The house was located right there, about a third of the way in, but with no for sale sign. We contacted the agent, viewed the house that morning and made an offer by lunchtime. The rest, as they say, is history. By the beginning of December, we were in. In the old house, on the rare occasion that I could really be creative, it was either from the confines of one of the small rooms in our equally small terraced house, or from an old six foot by three foot garden shed that I'd use whenever the weather would allow. It wasn't bad, a bit drafty sometimes, and it leaked a bit when the wind blew the rain in the wrong direction. Although it was just a bit on the small side, it did serve its purpose, I suppose. One of my major achievements was to build a screen print bed in there, but there wasn't a lot of room for much else and the odds of getting somewhere bigger were, well, on the slim side, to be honest. So I filed the dream of having a proper studio away in the back of my mind under the one-day category. The garden of our new home, while still not measurable by acreage, was mainly lawn with two brick outbuildings at the far end. It was literally a blank canvas and I realised that I now had the space to at least consider a much larger, more suitable creative space for myself. A little landscaping needed to be done to accommodate it, but within two months of the move, I had settled on a suitable self-build structure. In the catalogue, it was humbly labelled as a summer house. However, I had a vision and within a few weeks, it was delivered and erected in the space that I had prepared along one side of the garden. It had a pitch roof, full-length windows all along one side and more than enough room. Once it had been built, I set to work meticulously planning the internal layout. I installed electricity, plasterboarded and painted it throughout, laid some flooring, built an easel, put in a workbench, a desk and shelving, set up a data connection and many, many other essential home comforts. The studio is divided into two zones. One for painting with everything to hand and ready for action, and a clean space for what I like to call admin, which really means for when I'm playing about on my MacBook in between falling down YouTube rabbit holes. 
There's heating for the winter months and plenty of electrical lighting for when the sun is a little bit low on the horizon. It does get a bit hot in the height of summer, so having the window side pointing directly towards the sun was probably not my finest decision, but I'm not going to complain too much. People will tell you that it isn't important what size space you have to be creative in. However, the demon that I have sitting on one of my shoulders will give you a reply to that which isn't repeatable. Of course, in reality, and after telling my demon to shut the bleep up, I would wholeheartedly agree with that initial statement. Make art wherever and whenever you can, and to plan your time and available space accordingly. Use the resources that you have. Looking for the most perfect space is like looking for the perfect paper stock, or the perfect shade of green, or buying that book that everyone else is reading because that will make you a better artist. That's all just crap, really. The thing that will make you a better artist is to make art. That, and possibly a little bit of luck. I'll be the first to admit that I've had my fair share of luck over the last few years. Things happen that I won't go into here, but looking back, these events when strung together can only be described as a run of good luck. Taken individually, they're only separate, unrelated incidents. And although some were weeks or months apart from each other, and appeared at the time to be unlinked, no single event would have come about without the one that preceded it. That day when we were burgled for a second time, that was luck. Okay, it was bad luck, but we were able to turn that around and make it an opportunity. It set wheels in motion which allowed us to move to a much nicer home, which meant that I was able to build my studio, which meant that I could begin to paint on a regular basis, which meant that when I was presented with a chance to leave my day job, I could take it. Luck or chance or fate, define it in whatever way that makes you comfortable. But it all starts with a moment, whether you recognise it, whether you build on that moment and continue its motion in the best direction, that's all on you. You're the only one who can make those choices. And I'll confess that I didn't recognise this at the time. I definitely didn't recognise any of this on the day I got home to find that a back door had been kicked in and the cats were hiding under the bed. But I did realise that this was the moment to start to make changes. Hindsight really is 2020, and I can now see how each of those moments led to the next and how they all connected to make a bigger and ever-expanding picture. So these days I try to be ready for it. Ready for when luck strikes, be it good or bad. I try to be ready to turn those brief points in time into new possibilities like being able to have my own studio. And oh boy, if you're presented with an opportunity to upgrade your space, take it. Don't think twice. Don't dither about. Just do it. It will not necessarily make you a better artist. Again, that's all on you. But it may serve to give you a new perspective on your work. Failing that, it'll give you somewhere to put your feet up, gather your thoughts and make plans for world domination. Or something like that. Since the day job came to an end last August, I've painted as often as I've been able to. I do have other commitments and I have done a lot to the house over the last 11 months, but I certainly tried to paint at least three or four days out of the seven. 
it's nice to have everything set out and ready, ready to crack on at a moment's notice. Most of the time I need to work in silence, no audible distractions until the point when it all starts to come together. I'm easily distracted, as I mentioned last episode, so I need a calm and ordered environment to help me concentrate. But when the time is right, I'll ask Alexa to put on some classic tunes, play an audiobook, or start playing through my huge list of podcasts. Sometimes I'll hit a barrier though and things start to go wrong, at which point I'll need to stop. You can't through push through that as a rule. A change of scenery is required, so I'll lock up the studio and head back to the house or go for a walk. I've almost exclusively used oil paint. It's a fantastic medium. It has a luscious quality to it and it's really forgiving if you cock up. But it does have a few drawbacks. Those of you who use oil paint will know what I mean and the drying time is a big drag. To go somewhat towards solving this problem, I'm trying to paint with acrylics for the first time in about 30 years. A while back I saw a documentary in which David Hockney talked about his series of 82 portraits that he completed between 2013 and 2016. In it David mentioned that he had begun to use a type of acrylic paint from a company called Golden. These were their open acrylic series and they boasted of a longer drying time than standard acrylic paint, which dries within moments of putting the colour down. I figured that these would allow for a bit more flexibility and if they were endorsed by David Hockney, how bad could they be? So on David's advice, I'm trying those out myself. They are tricky, especially when you're used to oils and expect them to respond in the same way because they don't do that. Clearly this is a different medium, so you shouldn't expect any similarity. They mix differently, the pigments are different, some are more translucent, etc. But saying that, I think I'm starting to get the hang of them and starting to get used to their slight eccentricities. And I'm using these now as a developer method of making some slightly more abstract pieces. My landscapes, as they have developed over the last few months, seem less about depicting a place and more often about capturing the essence of a place, if that makes any sense. Concentrating on shapes and forms rather than creating an, an accurate reproduction of the landscape if this direction continues, I can see a time when the abstract takes over completely. When abstracts are done well, they can be amazing and I harbour a secret desire to be able to pull off completely abstract work. There are so many great examples of abstract art on my Instagram feed and online in general, but at the moment I personally find making all-out abstract work to be difficult. I think I still need a degree of structure and definition in my mind when I paint, even if I end up not sticking to that. Despite being termed abstract art, there are still rules that need to be followed. It's a discipline all of its own. Abstract does not equate to random. But the more I paint, the looser my technique becomes. Work from last August bears little resemblance to the work I produce now a year later. In fact, I'm sure that this will still ring true when I compare next year's work to this year's and that development is something that I find very exciting. On the last episode I talked about my love of graphic design and about my time spent dabbling with screen printing. These are two creative avenues that I'm still passionate about and which makes the fact that I seem to have stumbled into painting landscapes quite incredible. That's a sentence I never thought I'd say but this new direction is something which I blame entirely on Sky's Landscape Artist of the Year. I'm sure many of you have seen this, and if you haven't, where the heck have you been? Because it's very addictive and an incredibly motivating watch. 
As well as the actual painting work, I also spend time in my studio engrossed in digital endeavours, from tinkering with WordPress to editing photographs of work to include on my web website or for listing on my various social media outlets. Oh, and recording these podcast episodes too. There's often a bit of gratuitous design work blended into my day because, well, why not? Once again, thank you for listening to the show. Tell your friends about the podcast. Perhaps they'd like to listen too. The podcast is available on all major podcast platforms, so it's quite easy for anyone to track down. Just search for The Studio Podcast, and that's studio with an H. You can find me on the web at mixstatham.com, on Instagram and Facebook at Michael Statham Art, and on Twitter at Mike Statham Art. The music for this podcast is called Walking Back by Aaron Sprinkle and is licensed from soundstripe.com. I'm Michael Statham and you've been listening to the Studio Podcast. When it feels like you're walking back When you're out looking off the path Broken and far from home Just remember that you're not the